Imagine moving to a brand new country right after high school. Now imagine moving, not only to a new country, but to one of the busiest cities in the world. This is the predicament that each of the many international students find themselves in year after year. Um, I mean, New York is very stressful. As someone that's not an American, it's um, like, because America just as a whole like has its own way of doing things. And as someone that hasn't grown up here, like it's, it's very difficult to grow accustomed to that. That was Georgia Davis, a musical theater student at the New School for Public Engagement and one of many international students attending the new school. I spoke to Monique Nui of the International Student Scholars Office about the problems international students may face. What I was about to learn is that there is no universal label for such problems. How do international students usually adjust to being in a new country? Well, I'm, I want to just problematize that a little bit because the idea of having international students as a block um, is difficult because we have 3,600 mm -hmm. international students from 116 countries. They may be grads or undergrads. Um, and obviously the experience of, say, a student coming from Canada um, who has had experience in the Western system is very different from, say, a student coming from China from a rural town, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about international students adjusting, um, the first thing we really need to do is look at what that definition means and what we're saying by labeling certain groups mm -hmm. as internationals, right? Mm -hmm. The things that um, kind of come out as common issues um, that people from those groups might face include academic difficulties. And um, that's in part because um, students are coming from different educational systems. Right. So in some educational systems, like exams are going to be the key thing that people are focusing on, and they spend all their time studying for exams. The process leading up to the exams in terms of classes may not be as important. Whereas here, um, in many of the situations that we're working in, Parsons, for example, which has the highest population of international students, um, we're looking at process as well as you know, the eventual outcome. You can see that if you're coming from a system which values one kind of achievement versus the other, that's going to create, you know, a gap, um, and that's one of the things that's, um, you know, that maybe maybe a difficulty. Um, people often go to language proficiency as like the key thing. Um, I would, you know, say that we have, you know, uh, a few students who are in English as a second language courses. Um, maybe four or five hundred um, who are actually in ESL classes. The rest of the folks are in, you know, regular degree and certificate programs. Um, at this point, some of them may be in language-assisted sections of those programs. Um, but I think the thing that we need to remember is that when you're dealing with difficult academic, complex concepts, yeah. you know, that's another set of language that you need to learn. To give you an anecdote, for example, we had a, a course for um, internationals kind of achieving success in terms of their academics and a PhD student um, said to me well you know I'm perfectly proficient um, in terms of being able to follow what's going on in the discussion she was I think she was German but what happens is that I am trying to formulate a question in English and by the time I get to positing my question the discussion has moved on mm -hmm. so initially there's that kind of difficulty. Now, 
pretty sure Americans do <laughs> have that problem as well, but it's kind of a doubled um, issue when you also have the idea of trying to put whatever your thoughts are into a second language, right? So, so that's, those are two academic difficulties, um, language proficiency. So often we will make references to things that are common in U.S. culture. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you come from somewhere else, you're not going to have access um, to that kind of culture. So in terms of um, being able to form examples, for example, working groups, you know, um, study groups, and so on, or initiating any kind of friendships with domestic students, those are often things that present um, quite a high cultural barrier. Uh, well, how do you help students get over the cultural barrier? Well, we have a couple of programs. We have a conversation partners program uh, where students are paired, um, domestic and international students are paired, and they, the, the idea is to practice language skills um, you know, from, from, from each group. Um, but those also usually turn into more than just a, a, a language um, exchange. Um, so people will exchange about, about other things in terms of, in terms of uh, that grouping. And then more specifically, there's a mental program where we pair kind of um, freshmen with older students in a particular program. That, that we do mostly at Parsons. Um, but that, that is designed to help students navigate through some of the issues that they may face um, in their initial years. And then lastly, um, over the last year, we've initiated something called the Global Project, where we brought together different individuals from around the university who work with international students. And we had like five working groups, including one on academics and learning. And we're looking at, you know, providing workshops and so on for faculty in terms of working with international students. And that's something that I think that the university has been interested in and has been providing. Um, but it's kind of difficult to figure out ways to reach all of our faculty because we've got such a wide range of faculty and a lot of different subject areas. So some of the, some of the issues are kind of content specific in terms of the specific language of, of the particular program and some of them as I was describing are more general in terms of just like things like you know what are your references are they all kind of US centric that, that kind of thing. Yeah. International Student and Scholar Services is primarily concerned with working with students in terms of their immigration status. Okay and um, what happens to international students after they graduate? Do they usually do you find that a lot of them do stay in country or well, there's something called optional practical training, mm -hmm. um, which is um, a benefit of students who are in F1 status. So if you come to the country on what's known as an F1 visa, which is the visa for students, um, there are various benefits that you, you have available to you. And one of them is 12 months of study in, I beg your pardon, 12 months of work related to your major um, following graduation. Mm -hmm. So. I would say 60 to 70% of our students um, avail themselves of that opportunity um, to do optional practical training. Beyond that, we don't really have as much information because we have really no way of keeping in touch um, with our internationals, at this office anyway, um, post um, optional practical training. So yeah, I would say probably 60 to 70% of the students 
mm-hmm. are going on to optional practical training, which as I say is a year of study. And then they will look at, you know, we have workshops about um, going on to an H1B visa or an O visa for some of the people at Parsons who are gonna go for a, an artist visa or jazz or drama mm-hmm. um, and so on. So, um, but we don't have like other things that we can do. I mean, for example, we worked with the careers office this year to begin a series of seminars about starting your own business for international um, and to kind of lay out like what the legal steps are and we, we invited um, alumni and others who were internationals who had started their own businesses um, and we had a series of like four or five workshops um, that people were able to sign up to um, to look at that as one way of being able to extend their stay um, because one of the things that happens is that a lot of the work opportunities for places like Parsons or Jazz or Drama, um, they're very highly competitive. So, you know, employers are um, not always um, willing to do the work, to do the paperwork in terms of, you know, the additional paperwork for um, hiring an international. So um, we're trying to think about other kinds of ways that people might be able to find work-related experience. So they could do their optional practical training and then think about other ways to be able to work on you know, a business that they're on. Yeah. The, the way that the, the immigration regulations are framed is so that the primary purpose of somebody being here is to study, not to work, right? Um, and so the, the regulations are framed so that it makes it pretty difficult to work unless what you're doing is in some way enhancing your study. Right? Um, so the government um, actually uh, regulates and authorizes the employment, so they, they do the employment authorization, um, and it can take from you know 30 days to 90 days for them to approve that. So once people are approaching graduation, we do our best to prepare people in terms of these are the steps that you need to take in order to apply for OPT. Um, and making sure that they submit the correct forms, that they don't have any trouble in terms of uh, having things returned. Um, you have to try to not have international students as a block. Yeah, you um, can't really lump them all in together. Yeah, it, and, it, and it's also kind of, if you think of internationals as students from other countries mm-hmm. um, with other cultures, right, and you kind of like pass out the countries and pass out like rural versus urban, graduate versus undergraduate, you know, there are a lot, there are too many factors that impact, like, what any one individual student in this group that we call internationals is going to, um, you know, is going to have an impact them in terms of, in terms of adjusting to, to their education. So, um, I think we do a better job if we try to focus on the student and what their needs are. But it is a lengthy, expensive, and complicated process, it's, mm-hmm. which is not anything to do with the IFS, only just it's the way that the regulations, it can be, it can be um, difficult, it can be stressful, mm-hmm. um, and we have to wait for the government to, to approve, and we really don't have much influence on whether they approve or not. Although every student from the new school, international or not, has different backgrounds, there comes a point in every student's life where they have to face the future. For international students, this issue is much more complicated than domestic students may stereotypically be used to. Students like Georgia Davis have already made their minds up. Um, after I graduate, I'm kind of at the point, um, 
So that's going to be in like another year. So at that point I will have been in uh, the US for four years um, and I will have to leave um, because I'm not going to renew my, my visa. Um, it's just a, an arduous task to do and then getting an O1, like I have to have experience and it's been very difficult to get experience in my career field. Um, so I'm probably going to go back to the UK or I'm going to go to Australia. This is Sonia Barrientos for WNSR.